At every ARBA convention, we're greeted by a banner that reads, For five days, you don't have to explain to anyone why you raise rabbits. Our hobby sometimes raises eyebrows. You show what? But once you step inside, you'll discover a world full of passionate, interesting people all working toward the ultimate goal, best in show. What can I do for you? Well, I'm looking for a white rabbit. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. If I were looking for a white rabbit, I'd ask the Mad Hatter. Okay, rabbit, you force me to use force. here it's Bryony smith and and i'm alan messick and we are starting a podcast about rabbits what do you think about that Bryony? it's a crazy idea but i think it's a timely idea um you know it's i kind of got the idea um from a few things have been rolling around in my head for a while and i didn't know what to do with them and then i thought you know podcast well yeah do you remember a post on facebook uh last spring i think it was from vicky in washington and she said gosh we really need a podcast for the arba and I think she tagged both of our names in it. Do you remember that? I think so. I do. Yeah. Um, and and they were thinking about us because of the 2018 convention in Massachusetts. They had um, live audio with Best in Show. That's something that had been started the year before. And you and I did that. And that was for some reason, people the, like to listen to us. <laughs> that was one of the like the best moments uh, in my rabbit life, I think, to sit there with you on that stage, that Best in Show stage in West Springfield, Mass, and commentating uh, commenting on the the best in show. It felt like it felt like the Westminster Dog Show, you know, watching it from home. It did absolutely. I was blown away by how many people who were actually at the show said I was there watching and we were listening to you guys at the same time, and it made it so much better because our best in show is a longer ceremony. Um, there's not an announcer over it, so it can be. A little tedious and, and not everyone, you know, knows about all the breeds. Not everyone knows which rabbits are on the table and it just, it makes it interesting. I like it. Yeah, it was, it was super cool. And I, I had the same reaction from people like, yeah, we left the best in showroom and went to watch best in show uh, in our hotel because we had a better view and it was way, it was more, more interesting, more fluent. So I was, I was totally flattered that you asked me to to step in for the legendary Glenn Carr that year. Um, certainly not the first year that you've done the commentary for best in show. You started in Indy the year prior in 2017? Yes. Um, Glenn and I did Open Rabbit in 2017. Um, that was all the brainchild of their host club. So look what they started. It was cool. And then I filled in for Glenn in 2018. But then in 2019, when we came back into the convention arena, you guys were center stage again. We were. It was a little different that time as the judges could hear us. Um, when the judges can't hear us, of course, in rabbits, um, it's very common that the judge does not know who the animal belongs to. So we can talk about all that sorts of thing when the judge can't hear. Um, but this time we were a broadcaster of the audience. So it was a little bit different experience, but it was still a lot of fun to be able to give the exhibitors some new information. I love it. I love the stage that you were on with Glenn. You had the lights on you. And I mean, it, it just had a great, it had a real kind of romance to it I, it was just not not in the love way but in the in the in the passion way it was it was it was the stage that you guys deserved because both of you are brilliant up there and two people that know rabbits know the arba like like really nobody else and and brian i mean that's why when this podcast idea came up i was like there's only one person i would i could do this with and it's you so oh I'm, I'm well, so, thank you I'm, you're not only articulate and obsessed with the ARBA like I am, but you're also beautiful and, and well-spoken and educated and, um, and we have a great chemistry together. So I am flattered that, that you said yes. Well, like thank you. I feel like we're getting married. So, uh, <laughs> it's, I, a, it's quite a relationship. I'm looking forward to it. I There's no wait. one I'd rather work with. Thank you. And, and as you brought up, like what we did in 2018 working together uh, during Best in Show, like that's kind of like the, the brainchild behind the name that we are giving this. And it's going to be best in show. Absolutely. 
and our hope is to not just talk about rabbits, but but KVs because they are a big part of the ARBA. And and who knows, maybe, maybe we'll talk about angora goats one day. <laughs> that would be exciting. Right, I'll I'll calm down now. Um, so well, let's roll into it. Like, who are you? What have you been doing? And and you know, how did you get involved in this crazy rabbit ARBA hobby? Well, I am Bryony Smith, and and that's how my name is pronounced. It's like Brian with an E. It's a difficult um, one. It is, <laughs> um, but I like it. I've never met any other Bryony. I love it. Um, I am from Kansas. I grew up here. Um, my mom was a 4-H'er. She actually showed horses. Um, so I had some 4-H background, and there was already a plan, I guess, to enroll me in 4-H um, about hmm. the time I came along. Um, she's also a knitter and a spinner. So when I we love were... your mom, by the way. Oh, my mom is awesome. I wish I were more like my mom. <laughs> she's mother. a lot more she's patient than I am. <laughs> Um, she's a knitter and a spinner. So when I was in kindergarten, we got an English Angora rabbit that was for a pet for wool. And I was kind of obsessed with him. So when the next one came along, he had actually been a shop pet at a yarn store in Wichita that was closing. And I liked to play with him. I remember, you know, kind of following him into the bathroom where his litter box was while my mom was looking at the yarn. Um, the shop closed and the owner offered the rabbit to us. So the deal was the rabbit was mine and the wool was my mom's. So she did all the grooming and upkeep and he was mine. He was a chocolate English Angora. I named him Hershey because of his little triangular chocolate face. Adorable. And I was completely obsessed with him. I would go out weekend mornings and just spend time halfway in his large outdoor hutch, petting him and playing with him and bringing him treats and all sorts of things he probably should not have been eating. Um, then I joined 4-H when I was seven and I went to the fair and they had rabbits and hmm. I thought, well, these carrots don't look very good. I don't really enjoy gardening. Um, I want to take my bunny to the fair. And my mom's response was, well, he's neutered. He's like three years old and he has a broken ear. So we're going to have to find you something else. And she wanted to wait until I was old enough to to do this on my own. So being the you know wonderful, pragmatic person she is, we went to the Kansas State Fair one year. She asked me to look around and write down any breeds I thought were interesting so we could kind of learn about them and choose one. And I handed her a list of every color of Dutch that I saw at the show. That was it. Um, <laughs> that was the Kansas Love State Fair. Love at first sight. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. That would have been 1990. So the next year I got my first pedigree Dutch. It was a little tort buck who had a tight elbow, a split stop, a terrible drag off of his cheek, but he was born on my birthday and I wanted a tort. He sounds like a winner. Uh, his his daughter was best to breed at the 94 ARBA convention. Whoa, so. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I'll, I'll step back, sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it was karma. It was meant to be. Um, but I got my first Dutch in 1991. I joined the ARBA that year. I showed at my first county fair, Butler County in Kansas in 92. And that was when I really got to see rabbit judging. And um, uh, the legendary Connell Addison was our judge that day. And I told wow. my mom, I want to be a rabbit judge. Ah, so crazy. It, it's, it's, and if to hear you tell that story, it's, I'm thinking, gosh, that's not far away from, from my story. And the, the fact that a fair was a big part of, of your, you know, early addiction. Affairs are so important. Oh, absolutely. So tell me your story. Well, I was, I was going to say it's, it's not, it's not far off from you. I grew up in Connecticut on the East coast. I live in, in California now, of course, I've lived out here for almost 20 years. Um, but in Connecticut, I was, I loved animals as a kid and we had, it was just like a menagerie of animals. I mean, I had, I had everything from an emu to a fallow deer when I was, when I was growing up. Um, it just, I loved animals. I was related to them. Looking back on it, I, I have a theory as to why animals were a big part of my youth. You know, I was, I was a gay kid growing up before social media, before, um, you know, before it was really acceptable. And I, I guess I just related to animals. You know, I didn't like have in-depth conversations with my animals, but they, they were, they didn't judge me. So, absolutely. Uh, and I think that that's, I think that if you, if you ask, um, you know, guys like, like me, they, they say the same thing, like yeah, rabbits are, or animals are comfortable. So grew up with animals. My first, my first like real pet was, a was an Angora goat. Actually, her name was Annie. And I got her when I was seven years old, because, uh, that's what you do for Easter, right? You want a goat. So I got a bottle fed. Traditional pet goat. Choice. I, I know, right? I mean, it's, it was like the kid of the spring. Um, but with rabbits, we always had rabbits in hutches and they were just pets and, you know, kind of hodgepodge. 
um, I remember <laughs> I've never told anyone this story. I, my neighbor across the, across the road, she had some just mixed rabbits and one of them or a couple of them had crossed the street. Okay. And they were over on, on our property. And I remember catching them and I was like, I was, I just was so excited to have these rabbits, even though I had other things like other chickens and I probably had emus at the time, but I was so excited about these rabbits and they were just, just mixed rabbits. Anyway, um, my neighbor found out that I took them and she was so mad. So she came over to like reclaim her, her mixed rabbits. And I remember sitting on the couch with my arms crossed. I was like having a massive drama queen moment, you know, like she's coming for my property, you know, when in <laughs> fact I had stolen her rabbits. So she took the rabbits and my mom, she was so sweet. She looked at me, she goes, Alan, we'll get you some pedigreed rabbits one day. And I'm like, what are pedigreed rabbits? I had never heard of such a thing that ended by the way. I never got pedigreed rabbits. I was like nine years old. It wasn't until I was in high school that I was reintroduced to rabbits, I had an ad in the local newspaper. It was a, a free newspaper that, or not free, it was free to advertise. It was a, a purchased newspaper, all classifieds. And in the pet section, I, I, this is another one I can't believe I'm coming out of the closet about. I had a wanted ad. It said, I will adopt any unwanted um, animals. <laughs> I cannot believe I'm talking about this. And I would get the craziest phone calls. I mean, I had one guy, I'm pretty sure he was drunk and totally just messing with me, but I was like 15 years old and he had, <laughs> he called me to give me his orangutan. <laughs> I, I'm not making this up. So fast forward, I eventually this, and I got birds, by the way, like I actually did adopt these animals and my mother, she will still talk about how disgusting my bedroom was as a teenager because I had <laughs> all these parrots and things things in it. Eventually someone called me and she's like, will you take my my rabbit? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll take a rabbit. It comes with a cage and everything. So I got the rabbit. It was like a four pound tort. Looking back on it, I think it was a Holland Lop with really bad ear control. And it happened to be in the summer. It was like 1990, it was probably 1986. And my local fair was coming up. I grew up in Durham, Connecticut. And Durham is famous for one thing. And that's the Durham Fair. And it happens every fall. It's the largest agricultural fair in Connecticut, which I know, big statement, right? Connecticut's such a big ag state, but it's it's a it's a huge festival. People come from all over. It's it's awesome, and it was a mile from my house, so I entered the rabbit at the fair in the pet section, and I don't think it won anything, like really. But the superintendent of the rabbit department was a rabbit breeder, and she was showing. She raised harlequins, in fact, and she took me under her wing, and she's like, "Hey, we we have this rabbit thing called showmanship, and." the fair has just allowed rabbit kids to participate in showmanship to be part of the round robin or what's also known as master showmanship. And I'm like, I have no idea what this stuff is. You know, I'm like 14 years old. So she's like, we have no other kids doing rabbits. So will you consider doing showmanship? And I'm like, okay, what do I have to do? Right. She you know, hands me this paper. And it's like, check the eyes, the nose for mucus. And I'm like, God, this is a competition. Yeah, check the sex. I have to do that. So anyway, I, of course I did it. And I did it mainly for her because she was so nice. Well, I became an addict after that and, you know, competed in the, in the master showmanship against the, the dairy kids and the beef kids and the llama kids and the, and the pig kids. And from there on out, I was like, okay, rabbit showing, you know, sh tell me more. And she's like, Hey, there's a rabbit show coming up in North Haven, Connecticut this fall. You should you know check it out. So my dad and I went, um, I bought some mini racks. I bought a caster and an opal. I remember them very, very vividly. Um, just because I thought, okay, mini rex are small. They're, they're cute. They've got fur. Like I've never felt it's like a chinchilla. And from there on out, I was raising rabbits and, uh, my mentor, she was the superintendent of the rabbit barn. She took me under her wing and she actually took me to my first show in 1987. It was in Goshen, Connecticut, my first show where I was competing that is. And I had <laughs> the Holland Lop with bad ears was out of my life by then. I think I gave it to somebody else. But I was I had some fuzzy lops that somebody had gave given me, and um, I joined the ARBA in 1987. And a year later, I think I went to my first convention. I think I remember going to my first convention. It was the magic of her mentorship that was my first attraction. You know, being able to be around adults because I, I related better to adults as a kid. I think you probably did as well. Um, just you know, I feel like I'm an old soul sometimes. So, and you know, when you walk into a rabbit show, like it doesn't matter where you come from, how much money you have, how much education you have, what you do for a job, like everyone is neutralized. And I think that that's infectious. Would, oh. would you say that you felt the same way? 
Absolutely. And I agree. Um, I On both sides of my family, I was the first grandkid. So I spent most of my time as a kid around adults. Uh, my grandpa's barbershop, um, you know, the library where my mom worked. I just, I spent most of my time with adults. So I related to them a little bit better. Um, so this was, it was absolutely like a coming home to me. And I totally agree um, with your characterization of that. Anybody can find success in this hobby. And, and that takes many forms. You know, to some people, success is winning on the show table. To some people, success is the ability to mentor youth. Um, to some people, success is to be able to be part of a show and and help put on a an eventful one. I mean, there, there's so many ways that people can find fulfillment in this hobby and friendship and like-minded people. It's just, it's so wonderful. That's one of the things I love so much about it. Um, the it, the doors are open for anyone. You're so right. And you, you, you nailed it when you said it's not just about like showing rabbits, for example, it's a, for the showmanship thing. Like you did not have to have the best rabbit in the world to win showmanship. You, you, these kids today don't, they can compete in royalty and go to conventions and which I know both of us did as well. Um, and it didn't matter how good your rabbits are. Apparently you had best of breed convention style Dutch. I did not. Um, that was but, more or less an accident. <laughs> well, Hey, it happened. And I'm sure it was part of the, the, the form, magic formula that got you addicted to, to all this, but. Oh, you know, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, I agree. I only had a very small rabbit tree when I was a kid. Um, that was my first convention I attended. I had begged my parents for months. It was in Tulsa. It was only a few hours away. We'd gone there, you know, annually for another event I begged them and begged them and begged them for months. Can we please go to convention? I had six rabbits at the time. I had, wow. you know, two that were worth taking. Um, one little doe was out of my funky marked birthday buck and um, a half sister of his. Actually, they were pretty well bred. And she ended up winning best of breed under the legendary Oren Reynolds. Wow. And oh that gosh. was still, <laughs> yeah, I would, I mean, if I wasn't hooked already, I remember walking into that show and smelling the pine shavings in the air mm. and seeing all the activity. I mean, it just, like you said, it was magic. It just sparkled. And I felt like I've come home. I found my people. And it feels like that every year walking into convention. Oh, gosh. I'm, I got the chills because for me, like the, that smell that you just mentioned, that the pine shavings, like I still remember that as a kid going into the, my, the Durham fair. Um, and, you know, as kids, like we just, we saturate that kind of stuff and it's, it's with us for life. And to think that you had, you had Connell Addison as your first county fair judge and then Warren Reynolds as your first convention judge. I mean, those are legendary. Those are icons in our industry. Oh, and I, I was very, very fortunate um, where I live in Kansas. You know, Connell was here um, having Oren as a judge. Ellsworth Tibbetts, the first ARBA wow. Best in Show winner, lived in the next county over, and he came to our county fair every year and sponsored awards and, you know, helped us out, gave us advice. So I didn't even really quite comprehend it at the time, but I was really, really lucky to grow up with le just legends as mentors. But like you said, that can be anybody. Um, anybody can be a legendary mentor to anyone. Absolutely. I mean, my my mentor, she she raised Harlequins. She raised very, very good Harlequins. And she went to convention every year to support the breed. She was diehard. Um, she eventually was the president of the Harlequin Club. So I was exposed to all that. I'm so lucky I was because I'm sure that's like, it just, it was like, hey, I could do this. I could be, I could be involved in a club and I'm only 16 years old. I remember I, I got Beverins pretty quickly into my, my rabbit journey. And I mean, they're a rare breed now. They were a rare breed then, but the club, as I joined, I, I was like, Hey, maybe these guys need some help. So I volunteered to be their editor. And I think at 16, I was editing the Beverin news and I had so much fun doing it. I mean, it was just like, it was pieces of paper stapled together. And I mean, somehow I rigged like word up to turn the pages. If I put it in the printer, the certain way, like I, I totally had like a, a 16 year old's version of a newsletter in its day, but it was the ability to feel like I had a purpose and be welcomed and appreciated by um, adults and people that had raised the breed for many years that it was very, I don't say validating is the right word, but um, it just, it's it maybe inspiring. Like, Hey, what else could I do? And you and I both have been super involved in the ARBA and in the industry from there on out. And I, I, I have a feeling that maybe we both were exposed you know, by chance, and we were just products products of osmosis, maybe. Um, because, you know, what are you doing now? Like, we're both judges, obviously, but 
talk about what happened. How did you become more involved in, in rabbits? Um, I, it was kind of just an obsession, really. Um, my, my parents would take me to a couple shows a year. Um, you know, they were very supportive of my hobby, but they didn't really intend to spend every single weekend at rabbit ships. <laughs> um, and that really wasn't the norm when we started in the early nineties. Um, just going to a show on the other side of the country for a weekend wasn't really the norm. Um, we had more single shows. You tended to attend the shows in your local area. Not everybody drove in the night before. So, you know, within a three or four hour radius was pretty normal for most people. Um, but as I got a little bit older, I wanted to go to more shows. I wanted to get more involved. So um, I started riding with some other youth families. Um, they did. My parents did take me to the convention in Tulsa. We stayed a couple days and then had our rabbits brought back. The first convention I attended the full year um, was when I was 16. I got a job and I saved my money all year long to go to convention. That was what I wanted to spend it on. Um, that was the first year I got to attend the entire convention. It was the first year I got to compete in the youth contests. Um, I already had my registrar's license by this time because I had, you know, fortunately enough mentorship and help in my local area to feel ready for that. I want you to talk about that too, because that's also something that anyone can do. There's no age limit. And th that's also, don't you think, inspiring to kids? I think so. Yeah. Um, I was, like I said, it was my first county fair. I said, I'm going to be a rabbit judge. And I don't think anybody believed me, although my mom swears <laughs> that she did. <laughs> she said, oh, no, I knew you were serious. Um, so then, you know, I've kind of been this, like, just plow ahead type of person. So, you know, I read all this stuff <laughs> about how you do this. I'm like, well, when I'm a member for three years, then I'll do this. And, you know, the standard was like my bedtime reading. I remember it being taken away from me when I wouldn't do chores. <laughs> um, so I was, you know, definitely ready to pass the test. Um, and I tried at shows. I spent a lot of time um, asking breeders if I could look at their animals. You know, if you had a breed I hadn't seen before, I was going to be bugging you about it. Um, I wish, I mean, you can never have too much hands-on experience. Um, but I wish I'd been able to get a little bit more. Um, but I, I went for it when I had my, my membership requirements, um, went over to Stan Pulliam's house and took my registrar's test and then worked with my judges and got my license. And I think some people were kind of skeptical, but you know, I've never really cared about stuff like that. No, no, you do not. <laughs> That's why we love you. Um, how old were you when you, when you got your registr registrar's license? Um, I was 16 when I got my registrar's license, 17. It was um, late October of 1996. It took me a while, actually. And like I said, people just didn't go to shows every weekend. People did not complete a judge's license in, you know, four weeks because they're doing Saturday and Sunday shows for four weekends in a row all over the country. Um, so I took my test that spring and I worked shows in um, June, October and November. But you know what? Looking back on it, aren't you glad that you didn't? take those three shows and milk them out or, or sorry, do them like all in like one weekend. I mean, I feel I'm not really vocal about this, but I like one of the most magical points of my rabbit career was working with judges, both as a registrar and during my judge licensing process. Like it's a very memorable and important time. And I think that a lot of judges and registrars like really rush through it. So don't, are you in retrospect glad that you had a little more time to kind of saturate what you learned and then have to you know think about it for weeks before you ever had the, the next opportunity? Oh, absolutely. And I think, like you said, that it's important to have to be able to reflect on that and really think about, you know, what happened at that show and kind of let that um, percolate in your mind. Um, my judge's license was the same way. I took my test at convention in 1999 in Louisville, Kentucky. And worked four shows that fall and then had to wait until spring to get the next four shows. So I worked um, while well, I worked my seventh show on my 19th birthday and my eighth show the weekend after that with Tex Thomas, the then chair of the Sarens Committee. Um, and, and I'm glad it took a little while. I, I did kind of want to get it while I was still a youth member. I didn't quite make that, but it did. It gave me um, a little more time. And especially being in the local area, I was not looking at the same rabbits for the the duration of this experience. Um, I was looking at a lot of different rabbits, um, different judges, different, you know, little parts of the state or, you know, the Midwest. So, so yeah, I think it, it really was important because you get to think about the feedback from the judges. You get to think about, you know, maybe how can I improve giving comments and really prepare for that next time a lot more so than if you're just cramming them into a few weeks time. Totally agree. And, I, and by the way, I'm no one to, I, I, I 
no one to judge about going fast because in 2007, when I took my test, I, mean, I was like, I want to get it done. Like I was cranking out the shows as, as quickly as I could. So by no means do I mean to, to judge anyone that does that. But um, in in retrospect, when I think back on it, I'm like, gosh, I wish I had more time to have, you know, like you said, just to, to think about it and reflect during those weeks. Because, I mean, they seriously some, were some of the best shows of my life to, to work with these. I mean, you get to officially work with like someone you really respect and, and admire and have done so for years and, and to hear their perspective and then, and then have them, you know, you get a piece of them that day and oh. it's, it's very special. Yeah. Um, I still remember I worked that last show and Tex handed me a rabbit and said, if you can find the DQ on this, I'll pass you. Uh, it. <laughs> it was a Japanese harlequin with two white toenails. Oh my God. <laughs> so fun. So fun. I love it. Um, so talk about royalty though, because that was something that you and I both did and maybe explain could you explain what royalty is? Because I'm sure we're going to have listeners that maybe are not involved as we are, or as obsessed with the rabbit thing and the KV thing. So, um, and I think that royalty, those youth contests are such an important part of our, of our association and the magic behind why there's going to be a future for the ARB because we have kids invested early and they come back to it as adults. So um, what was royalty to you? Um, but like I, like you said before, I appreciated that it was something that you could do without a lot of rabbits. Like I said, I didn't have a lot of space. I did not have a large barn. Um, but that was, it was competing against myself. It was just me out there. Um, and I really liked that aspect of it. I'm sure some people have heard of things like, you know, rodeo queens or things like that. Royalty is a little bit different. Um, it's a skill-based contest entirely. Um, at the ARBA level, you submit a written application where you provide, you know, answers to questions about your activity, your history in the hobby, about how you've promoted the hobby, um, your goals, which are, are so important. Um, it, you know, you talk about setting those goals, what you're doing to achieve them. Then you get to the convention and there's a judging contest. You place four classes of animals. There's a, an identification contest where you identify the breeds and varieties um, of several animals. I think it's about 20. It was when I was competing in royalty. And you take a written test over the standard perfection, the ARBA guidebook, show rules, constitution, bylaws, all of those things. And then um, the top candidates in each, if there's you know a large field, with their, which there often is at convention, um, follow up with an interview. Um, so it's a you know, a week long event, you know, like I said, you send your application ahead of time. The test is one day, the judging and ID contests are another day, the interviews another day, and the winners are announced at the youth banquet. Um, when I did it, it was split between rabbit and KV royalty. And a lot of kids did both in the late nineties or early two thousands that merged. So, um, it's just royalty now. And now kids are expected to know about both species, even if they don't raise them. So that's an extra um, hurdle for them to climb, but I loved royalty. It was my favorite thing to do. And I think that I, today it's still called ARBA King, ARBA Queen, correct? It's, it's the combination of both KV and rabbit and that it never, yes. it never reverted back to the old version, correct? Uh, yes. It, back then it was ARBA Rabbit King, ARBA Rabbit Queen, right. and but, it's divided by it age changed. groups. Excuse me? Once it changed, it, it never reverted back to rabbit King, correct? Or rabbit. Queen. Right. It's just ARBA um, royalty. Um, and it's in divided by gender and age groups. So 15 to 18 are Kings and Queens, 12 to 14 Dukes and Duchesses, nine to 11 are princes and princesses and eight and under are Lords and ladies. So there's kids are competing against their own age groups. And a lot of kids have gone through and, you know, competed at every level. I was kind of a late comer. I only ever competed as a queen in national, um, ARBA royalty. All right. Guess what? We have the same story because I only ever, <laughs> ever competed against in the in the king contest. And you know, for girls, it's different because the the girl girl side of things. I'm sure it's the same way. There are many many more girls that compete for ARBA Queen. When I competed with for ARBA King, the first year I did it was in 1999 in Louisville, and I did it because um, one of my adult mentors, she's like, you have to do this. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. I would rather spend time looking at all the rabbits and, and watching judging and doing other things. I didn't want to be, you know, married to the contest, which, you know, I have to give credit to those kids that, that do royalty. Like they give up a significant portion of their convention to dedicate to that contest. And, and they love it, of course. But for me, I was like, I don't really want to do this. I didn't study. And I, I totally flopped. Like, <laughs> and then the next year in 2000, I'm like, I'm definitely not doing that. But then in 01, it was the last year that I could compete for royalty because I was aging out. I was 18 and that was in San Diego. 
So I competed. There were a total of ready nine King participants that year. And I won, but I'm looking at it like, yeah, there were nine. I mean, <laughs> a big, when, in Queen, I think there were like 35, you know? Do, do you remember how many girls were competing in the Queen contest when you were doing it? Um, I know there were probably at least 40. Yeah, um, it was in the Midwest, right? Um, yeah, my first year was in Madison, Wisconsin in 1997. There were at least 40 girls. Um, and so I won that year. Nobody wow. knew who I was. Amazing. Um, we were sitting at the banquet and, you know, they, they give out awards for the individual contest for judging for ID. Um, and they have management and achievement contests that are application based. And I think I, I won something in either management or achievement. Um, but I hadn't won anything in the other contests. It's the top five. And, and like you said, there are, you know, sometimes 40 queens, a lot of kings, and then kids can just compete in judging or IDs without having to be part of royalty. So it can be, you know, tens, even maybe 100 kids per category. Um, I hadn't won anything in either of those. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I tried really hard, but I didn't make it. There's always next year. And they were announcing the queen winners. They, you know, all the runners up. I hadn't gotten anything. I was kind of disappointed because I'd worked so hard. I just so, so hard. And then they were stumbling over it. And my friend said, they can't say your name. You won. <laughs> and I oh said, my God. no way. And then something starting with a verb came out and mm. the Kansas table erupted. We'd already won um, Princess and Duke. And that too was one of the most magical nights of my life. Wow. So cool. I mean, I'm telling you, like from the King side of things, I know like those, there are a lot of girls and they're good. Like these are yeah. really, I'm not discounting the boys by the way, but top notch. These kids are winning showmanship events and, and they're at the top of their game, wherever they're coming from in the country. So um, a big nod to, to the girls that like you that competed in, and did so well in, in the queen side of things. Um, I mean, and, I studied my, my butt off for that, that last year. I, I was eligible for King cause I'm like, I'm getting this right. But um, it wasn't, it didn't feel the same like if I was queen. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, it's it's still an achievement. Um, yeah, it's, and I think like you were talking about earlier, rabbits is, I think some of the ag world, there's a perception at least, you know, 20 years ago that it was a boys club. Um, mm. But it was not that way for girls when I started. It was gender didn't matter. So right. I think uh, a lot of girls really latched onto rabbits for that reason. Well, and I think that that's another, that's a big part of the magic with, of the ARBA, that there are a lot of women in rabbits, girls and women, and they we have a lot of judges now that are women. And that was different back then. Remember, I mean, Cindy Wickheiser and Anita Boatman, they were some of the first women judges and they were judging actively when you and I were younger. Yeah. Um, but they were, they were a rare, they were a rare, a rare crowd then. But today, I mean, it's, it's, a, I, I find it to be a, a female dominated um, industry and, and competition. Oh, absolutely. And so. I feel like I kind of grew up in that first generation of girls that really thought I can do this. Yes. Yeah. It didn't matter. Like I said earlier, it didn't matter where you came from, what, what you were, you know, into previously or what job you had. It doesn't matter what, what gender you are like rabbits, you're rabbit. So you are free to be as, as big as you, as you want to take it. And it's, it's cool stuff. Like for me, um, I got my registrar's license in high school and I did it as a project. I had a senior project that I got involved in and I was like, gosh, what am I going to do for my topic? Like, and the, this, the project was to share something that, that you're really into that you might even use later on to investigate maybe a career option. And I thought, well, I don't know what I want to do. I thought I, thought I wanted to we be don't a make French money from these. I know. I thought I wanted to be a French professor. So I was like, oh, okay. Oh, I could get my rabbit registrar's license. So I, it was like a six month project where you, you know, I would read the standard every night, take notes. And I studied hardcore um, and passed the test. And then in June, I gave a final presentation um, to a group of adults, teachers, um, community leaders, and, and talked about this rabbit thing. And I had to, for the first time, like come out of the closet about my rabbit hobby, because in high school, I don't know if you were quiet about it, but I, I didn't tell a lot of people because when I did, I would get made fun of by, by other kids. So, um, rabbit shows were like my safe zone. Like I, I could go to a rabbit show and be around my people and didn't, you know, that sign that hangs at convention that says like for the next five days, I don't have to explain, um, explain what I'm doing or, you know, it's like, <laughs> you don't have to explain to rabbit people when you're, when you're at a convention. I, I had the same feeling about every weekend. So I was, you know, really shy about it in school. So anyway, when I, I passed my test and I had to give this presentation, 
I was freaking out. Like I did not do public speaking. I was like the shyest kid in the room. I mean, I never, I didn't say boo. I didn't raise my hand in, in class. I was really timid. And I got up in front of the people. I'm just shaking. I mean, it was, <laughs> I was probably wetting my pants. And I'm like, my name is Alan and I, I do rabbits. And then all of a sudden something clicked. I remember it very vividly. And I was like, hold on a second. They don't know anything about rabbits. These are adults. They came here to watch me and, and listen to me about my project like they're not here to judge me like they want to know more talk about rabbits like tell them why i do this like and then what this registrar license thing is and tell them that there's at in the day there was 45 recognized breeds of rabbits and and why each are unique from each other and what in fact you have to memorize and, and learn to get that license and it was like a light bulb or like everything changed and i just opened up and i i spoke like i was just like like you and i talking about rabbits and I swear to God, I came out of my shell that day, that moment. And it was because of rabbits. Like it was so relatable, so easy to talk about because I loved it so much. Um, so, and I, and I wish, honestly, looking back, I, I wish I had done it like at a school assembly, like <laughs> with the entire school there, the kids that used to laugh at me for, for my rabbit thing. I, because I was like in my zone, like I was proud of it and I owned it. Um, so gaining my registrar's license. They do. Yeah. People respond and to passion. They, you're so right. You're so right. And, you know, well, that's why I'm still here today. Still addicted to this, to this rabbit thing. Um, let's talk about your involvement though, because you've got a big role that you've just taken on in the ARBA and, you know, thinking back on, you know, it being a male dominated hobby and a male run hobby and, and back in the day, it's not now, but you know, what are you doing in rabbits? That's, that's, that's a big deal. Well, I guess my big news, um, <laughs> I, I, as of January 1st, I am now the chair of the ARBA Rabbit Standards Committee. Um, some people outside of the rabbit world or, or inside refer to those like the chief justice position. Um, <laughs> I do, I do. The, the committee is responsible for evaluating all of the new breed and variety presentations and, you know, either passing or failing those. And we also have the role of maintaining the standard of perfection and, you know, recommending changes to that or improvements. Um voting on those from that come from breed clubs and just really, you know, maintaining a constant study of improvement of um, interpretation of um, when necessary, we do um, issue official interpretations. And um, I'm not the first woman to do this. Actually, uh, Cheryl Engelink had that uh, position and she was followed by Kathy Shulda, my immediate predecessor. Um, as far as I know, I think I'm the youngest to do this. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> however, in my research, I may be the longest license to be taking this over. Um, I, I will be licensed 21 years in April. Wow. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. This has been my dream job for a long time. Like I said earlier, I, I worked with Tex Thomas when he was a chair and was just in awe of his encyclopedic knowledge of the standard. Um, and hope to hope to live up to that. I have no doubt that you will. You're, you also are, are an encyclopedia of of rabbit knowledge, and I think it's when I when I heard that you had the job, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is huge. I mean, it's like you, I I do consider it like the Supreme Court justice of the ARB. I mean, the decisions that you get to make and the influence that you have, um, and this and the massive amount of organizational skills that you have to have to to pull it off. I mean, no one has any idea until. You, <laughs> You either have a COD or or you're on that committee about how great of a workload that, that you are undertaking. I'm so proud of you. And I'm really excited to hear and see um what you bring to the to that to that committee and, and to our entire industry because it is a game changer. I mean, you in that committee will sculpt basically how how we assess and and value rabbits and the pathway to bringing in new varieties and new breeds. I mean, it's 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 so cool. So I'm so I'm super jazzed about it. Well, um, I've never you. I've never I, been on the, on the standards committee, but I have the, the most respect for anyone that that gets involved on that level and then to take on that that position. Well, thanks. I am I'm a nerd. I really am. <laughs> I'm a geek. <laughs> I've been yeah. a rabbit geek for 30 years. Um, I, <laughs> I kind of tend naturally to be an archivist. My mom is a librarian. It's genetic. Um, I have maintained an archive of all of my old rabbit magazines. Um, so this is kind of just another step in some levels. Um, I'm actually having a blast right now. I have received some of the old files and this is how nerdy I am. I am just enjoying 
going through all these old files, scanning them in and reading them and, you know, learning about all of these different projects and, you know, how things happened and, um, you know, yeah. the improvements that were requested and made and whether, you know, why or why not those were able to to be fulfilled. Um, it's just, it. I'm geeking out. I, I've right. been able to turn You're myself away from a this. rabbit nerd. But meanwhile, meanwhile, I'm sitting here, I've got my brand new standard, by the way, next on my left opened up and I have a stack of old DRs on or domestic rabbit magazines on, on my right. So we are mouse of the same house, girl. So tell me a little bit about, I mean, you've, you've done some pretty incredible things for this association too, and started some really interesting initiatives. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Uh, I, I appreciate that. I, I mean, everything I've ever been involved in when it comes to rabbits just seemed natural. Like it just, it was the natural thing to do. I remember I passed my registrar's license in 01, like I said, and then I remember the entire process thinking, gosh, there's, there's like no study material out there. Like there's a standard, there were a few um, they were like study guide sheets, I think put out by the judges education committee in the day. But I was like, gosh, I wish there was like a book that we could study the standard and like take quizzes on before ever going, you know, to that official day where you take your registrar exam. So I finished everything. I remember, and then I moved to California in 2002 and I went back to visit my family for Christmas that, that fall or that winter in 02. And I was, I was kind of bored, you know, <laughs> I, I had moved and my life was in California at the point. So I sat down, I was like, I should just like write a registrar study guide. Like just so what could I, what could I come up with? So I literally sat there for a week and I, I wrote what I called the, the registrar study guide and I took it home and it was huge. It was like a massive binder. And it was before we, we saved files on the computer. Like I printed everything and um, <laughs> I saved it to a floppy disk. I did have it on a floppy disk took it home and I was enrolled um, in college out here in California at the time, at California State University, Fresno. And one of my professors who I was studying animal science was Dr. Scott Williamson, who is a rabbit judge, of course. Uh, at the time, I believe he was on the Airbnb Standards Committee. Very well-known well judge, breeder of Dutch, of course. And he, I, I call him my, my second dad. He is just amazing. He's brilliant well-spoken. Uh, he knows about literally everything, especially when it comes to animal husbandry and genetics. And so I had him as a professor and saw him on the weekends at rabbit shows. And I showed him the registrar study guide. I'm like, Hey, what do you think about this? And he just like ate it up. Like he was so into it. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I have like, he was just like, he loved it. He like, in, as a teacher, a natural um, educator, like he's like, we need this. And so I ended up showing it to Cindy Wickheiser. I think she was president. Yeah, she was president. Then and then it kind of sat in a box for a little while, but eventually Eric Stewart and I uh, ganged up on the project and, you know, we edited it more, made it better and, you know, took out some errors and, um, and then published it in 2006. Like we gave it to the ARBA in 06. It was published and released at the Fort Worth convention. And I was so excited about it. I was like, this is, this is like the best thing ever. Right. Um, and it was a hit. Like it's people still buy it. And Eric says it's one of the, Eric Stewart says it's one of the, one of the most popular um, publications that the Airbnb office still sells. And it, it's, you know, Eric keeps it updated. He keeps my name on it, but let's face it. I haven't, I haven't touched it in a while, but that was, that was something that was really important to me a long time ago. And, and still is because it's, it's that reaching out and teaching people. I love to inspire others or to talk about rabbits with people and get them, especially young people to get them interested Um I think it's like, like you can relate. Someone did that for us when we were younger and I can't help but, but want to do that more, more now as an adult. So, I mean, that was, that's like how I got massively involved in the beginning. Um, but you know, I believe that being active is so important in rabbits and KVs in the RBA because we all have something to give back. And this, this hobby, or I like to call it an industry is run by volunteers. Like we don't make a lot of money doing this and the shows don't just happen. They don't just like f magically appear. Like there was forethought. There's a, a group of people behind it that had to, you know, get it sanctioned to keep a club going, to have meetings, to decide, you know, all the way down to like the hot dog buns in the food booth and what raffle tickets to use. Like these shows do not just happen and we all can give back. And I think that volunteerism is incredibly important and something that we need to instill in, in our members to, to take part. And it's not just, not just a like come and take kind of event, but it's come take, participate, help, 
um, in some way. So that was always super important to me. And then when I moved, you know, out here in California, I was involved uh, and still am with California Rabbit and KB shows, which put on the 2001, 2009, 2016, and 2019 ARBA conventions. So I got to work with some of the most, I think, some of the most uh, forward-thinking and brilliant, dedicated minds um, in our industry, like like Kevin Whaley and Randy Shoemaker and Chris Emney. Early on um, with these conventions, I was like, gosh, I get to like be part of this. So um, I've worked on, you know, behind the scenes on conventions up until recently, until Reno, of course. And I think that's important. Like we all have something to give back. So I love being involved. I love being involved behind the scenes and seeing how things work and the, and the management and the mechanics that, that go into it. It's, 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 it's cool stuff because there is, it's, it's, it's a very deep um, commitment. By a it lot of is. And, and I want to reiterate, you donated that to the ARBA. Um, it's in, is it in its third or fourth edition now? Um, and it's one of those bestsellers. That was, that was a donation, which is pretty incredible. Um, and I know that's inspired a lot of people. I've seen several times people ask for copies of that. People bring copies of that with them when they're working for licenses. Um, it, it's an addendum to the standard. I've even seen someone bring it instead of the standard when working for the license, which is not wow. allowed. But wow. <laughs> um, but it's it's really helped a lot of people um, around the world. So um, we're kind of getting to the end of time here. Um, this kind of segues really well, I think, to why did we decide to start doing this? So tell tell me why you thought a podcast would be a good idea. I thought a podcast was a good idea before even, you know, this last year of, of like standstill that we've had, because, um, you know, there are several podcasts out there dedicated to livestock, and they're really interesting. They bring people together. And it's a form of education, form of community. Um, I mean, how many times do we go to rabbit shows and the radio is playing? Like, I envisioned something that people could listen to when they were on their way to a rabbit show or when they're on their way home from a rabbit show, or maybe on a Wednesday night when they're like, gosh, is it Friday yet? Is it Saturday yet? So we can go to a rabbit show. Like there are people just like us out there that love this, this industry, this ARBA, and they want to hear more and they want to learn more and they want to hear stories. Like that's one thing that we don't get to do so much anymore with, with these shows that are multiple shows in a day. They're no longer single shows. We don't sit down and have lunch together. We don't talk about um, what we did in our week or what we're doing in our barn or what's our next project. What's our, what's our vision. So I, I envisioned a, a podcast uh, like a radio show where we could share those stories um, and be very candid you know, like I don't want to hold anything back. I, I've been called sanitized, by the way, on Facebook. <laughs> Alan Rafferty says Alan Messick is the most sanitized person on Facebook, um, and I don't want to do that. I actually want to. I want to be very, very raw um, and and talk about what rabbits mean to me, and I want to and I want others to tell us what rabbits and KBs and the ARB mean to them, and and to help inspire people. So when when I said to you, hey, do you want to? do this crazy thing, this podcast with me? And you're like, yeah. Um, why on earth did you say yes to me? Well, for me, this, it goes back to the stories. It, kind of this idea started swirling several years ago before I even really heard of podcasts. Um, we went to a show and several judges went out for dinner afterwards. And one of our exhibitor friends came with us and we were just talking, you know, shooting the breeze as judges do telling stories and talking about philosophies about rabbits, things we learned from other judges, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we got ready to go and we looked around and we asked, Where, where's our check? And the exhibitor who'd been pretty quiet through all of this just said, I paid for dinner for everyone. I just wow. enjoyed this so much. I wanted to thank you guys in some way. Hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, and then, and then I realized we don't get that time all the time to sit and listen. So maybe we can bring people to, the, the judges lunch table. Um, they enjoy that. And also, um, a few years ago, I did lose a couple of my mentors within a couple of weeks of each other. And I started to realize, you know, I still feel like a kid, but eh, I'm in my 30s. It's, it's time my generation needs to step up. Um, it's our turn to be mentors. And maybe we can find some way to do that. And these kind of ideas just circled around. And then I started listening to podcasts. And I thought, you know, maybe this is maybe this is our avenue. I love it. Yeah. Gosh, I've been at those, those dinners too, where, you know, they were the quiet person, like they, but they were, they were clearly listening to everything that was going on and they loved it and they felt included. And I think with the podcast, we can include everyone that, yeah. that wants to listen and be part of this. So I'm super excited to do this with you, Bryony. Um, we are going to roll into our, you know, a couple episodes coming up and 
we've got a format kind of figured out too. So we're going to share stories. We're going to share a little bit of history, right? Absolutely. A little blast from the past. Mm -hmm. A little bit of that. So um, so I guess get ready to geek out with us if you are Rabbit KV ARBI people. We intend to inspire, educate, and entertain on all things Rabbit and KV. You got it. And right now, since we can't see each other at shows, uh, I think that there's never been a time maybe better for a podcast like this than than right now. Absolutely. All right, Brian, I guess we're going to say goodbye for now, but uh, we will certainly be back uh, with lots more to come and lots to share with all of our, our audience. Absolutely. We hope you join us. We can't hear, wait to hear your feedback. All right, guys, thanks for listening to episode one of Best in Show. Go talk rabbits. While this podcast would not be possible without the American Rabbit Breeders Association, it does not constitute an official communication of the association. The information, viewpoints, and opinions expressed herein are those of the hosts and our guests and are not endorsed by the ARBA. To learn more about the ARBA, please visit www.arba.net.